This is a Federal News Network podcast. Federal managers have no problem supplying remote employees with what they need to be effective, at least technically. But what about the whole person? Research by Accenture Federal Services shows the need to deal with the stress and pressure the pandemic has brought. Here with some ideas, the managing director for Accenture's federal human capital practice, Kristen Vaughn. Ms. Vaughn, good to have you on. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's nice to be here. And you did some fairly extensive research among people who are working under these crazy conditions we're all working under. Tell us how you did that and what are some of the top line findings? Sure, we did. So we primarily focused our report on survey results from federal respondents, but we drew our underlying models using our global commercial sample. So we had a global initiative led by Accenture's Chief Human Resource Officer, Ellen Shook, and also Marriott's Chief Human Resource Officer, David Rodriguez. We conducted findings and compared these to a global sample. For the study, we asked employees and CXOs to gauge a variety of factors. So things like degree employees felt net better off, employee trust and satisfaction with their employer, level of maturity and business practices in the workplace. We combine this data with how specific practices address fundamental human needs and helping employees become net better off, which then had a positive impact on both them and their employer. Built on several global surveys, and there was a federal component to each one of those surveys. So we have about five different data points for all of those. And how would you describe in general the mind or the state of mind of the federal employees? Federal workers took great pride in their role fighting the pandemic. Three out of four actually said their jobs had become more meaningful, if you can believe that. Also, to back that up, the 2020 Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, FEBS, also found that federal workers' experience and engagement scores were at their highest in five years. But at the same time, 68% felt increased stress. So they had more anxiety about a deteriorating work-life balance. And within six months of the pandemic hitting, half of federal leaders agreed that their companies should take a more active role in addressing these needs. So again, you have employees that are super engaged, but they're also very stressed at the same time. And that stress makes you wonder if the widely purported increase in productivity is sustainable if something isn't done about the stress. Exactly, exactly. Some of the other important findings we found were that just half of federal workers believe that their full potential is being realized at work. So think about that. That's a big number. So if employers can take better care of their workers, they can unlock unrealized potential. And better employees translates to greater trust, which can drive loyalty and productivity. And we found that companies that scored high in helping their employees become net better off earned higher levels of trust. So I think 97% trusted their employer versus 52% with lower scores. So really implementing this net better off framework can also strengthen an agency's employer value proposition. This is what we call the EVP. It's the perceived benefits from working for a specific organization. And that idea of getting more potential from people doesn't mean more work out of them. Correct. No, it's, it's tapping into things that are fundamental to them. So part of our research, we found five what we call sweet spot practices that can help companies achieve a better net better off with their employees. So the first one is enable continuous learning. So this is ensuring that you have a future ready workforce that can shift at scale. The second is listen to what people need at the front lines, empowering people with real time data. The third is using technology to enable flexible work arrangements. This allows for more creativity and collaboration in your workforce that's dispersed and blended. Fourth is champion workforce well-being. So you think about safety and relational needs. These are more important than ever. And lastly is set and share specific people metrics. So this is taking accountability for diversity and equality and being transparent and engaging in intentional conversations that really matter to people. We have to be more purposeful with this blended and disconnected environment to really make sure that we're taking the time out for employees and, and checking in on their well-being. 
We're speaking with Kristen Vaughn. She's Managing Director for the Human Capital Practice at Accenture Federal Services. And there's one of those practices I wanted to ask you about, and that is champion workforce well-being. In the private sector, there's a lot of things they can do that sometimes cost a little money to ensure well-being. I know even where I work, there were a lot of measures taken throughout the pandemic when most people were remote and it was difficult that really help feel that connection with the company and feel that the powers that be care about me personally. But federal agencies operate in such a rigid structural set of rails of what they can do for people. What are some things you feel that an agency can do to champion workforce well-being? What really surprised me was that government agencies were really super responsive to workforce well-being in the early stages of the pandemic and then throughout. They quickly set up wellness programs, counseling, flexible work arrangements, and over-communicated on health and available support options. We also saw a change in policies and procedures. I think that's what you're hinting at, right? That it's really hard to get around the red tape. So things like flexible work arrangements, new tools and technology to collaborate better and share ideas. So people had a chance to work in the office, work outside the office, and still collaborate a lot. So I think over time, the government agency's challenges are going to be to take these temporary fixes and turn them into long-term solutions because we're not going to go back to normal, right? We're going to go back to what we call go back to better, where it's going to be a blended workforce. And how do you make sure that people that are at an agency, they're in person, also balance out with people that are at home? And how do people get equal treatment, right? If you're in front of your boss all the time, you might get more face time. You're going to get more time to talk to them and, and expose yourself and your ideas. So how do we make sure that the people at home and remote don't feel disconnected and feel like they're not being supported as much? So I think there's a a big opportunity here as well. And one of the practices is to set and share people metrics. Tell us more about setting and sharing people metrics. Sure. So setting and sharing people metrics is really important. If If it's not tracked, it's not important. And we want to make sure that diversity, equity, inclusion goals are included. So if agencies are trying to get to a certain level of diversity goals, Um, or gender equality, those are published and shared with the workforce. It's really important in these times that people feel connected. Usually people leave the workforce not because of their pay or because their salaries, it's because of their boss and they wanna feel like they are with someone and they're part of a community. I think feeling connected when you're dispersed is very important. So again, the water cooler conversations go away in a remote environment. The going to lunch, grabbing coffee, stopping by someone's desk, all that is harder to do now. And so it's making that time to forge new relationships and set up time. No one wants to be on Zoom calls all day, but how do you balance that with making connections and checking in and making sure that people feel connected and there are employee resource programs for people to participate in things that they see people like them and they see people growing in their careers that are like them. How do we make sure that happens and continue to grow and foster inclusion, equality, and diversity? And there's another wrinkle in agencies often, and that is the presence of large numbers of contractor employees. And of course, those are ultimately the responsibility of the contractors' companies. But is there anything that an agency can do to make sure that for purposes of everybody getting along well and and getting the mission accomplished, that they can somehow include the contractor people on site in some of these activities? Yes, absolutely. Contractors and government employees are come together to form one team. So we're not looking at it as what color is your badge or contractor versus government. It has to be one team pushing out things and working together. Collaboration doesn't happen in silos. And so we want to make sure that the collaboration, the co-creation all happens together and people feel that they're supported holistically through their teams. I think what we've seen a lot during the pandemic also is continuous learning. So people want to learn and not just learn for compliance. I've seen a big shift in government agencies where before the pandemic, they used training as a point in time where it was checking the box to make sure that you complete your annual training. 
And now I see it more as continuous learning to enable workforce improvement, knowledge gain, and using things like upskilling and reskilling on AI, cloud, cyber. Agencies are taking time to invest in their employees to gain these new skills. And I think they'll come out stronger in the end because the employees feel more engaged and they're also learning something new. And you have several examples in this latest report of federal agencies doing some of these five practices. And one I thought interesting was on practice two, listen closely to frontline workers. You cite the U.S. Army using analytics to empower careers. Tell us about that particular one. Sure. So using analytics to empower careers, we want to know what people are thinking and feeling. And if they feel like they don't have a career path or they are stuck in their job, we want to know that and enable those things. So as a look at the data for Army and other you know, federal agencies, it's looking at progression. It's looking at attrition rates. It's looking at how we can make people feel like they have a career path and a career trajectory and learning and growing their skills. People don't want to feel like they're stuck in one career service or one developmental path the rest of their lives. So they want rotational programs. They want to learn and gain new skills. So having those insights and metrics from employees to pull together a cohesive picture of what's the attrition rate? What are my high performers? We can use predictive analytics to look at all of that. So how do I make sure that those high performers stay engaged and I can retain them at my agency? And for lower attrition rates, how can I make sure that if I dive into attrition, are there certain job series that are attrition more to my organization than others? And what can I do to really hone in and put in programs or different support mechanisms in place to make sure that those people feel supported and rewarded? So these are practices really then, uh, all five of them and across the whole bureaucracy that should really continue pandemic or otherwise. Exactly. And I think that's why we're really saying back to better, because we want to make sure that we're not going back to what we were before, but we've learned a lot about ourselves and our employees during this time. We've found that it's worth connecting. People want to feel connected. And I think before the pandemic, we always used to talk about work-life balance. And I think we've all realized that it's really life balance. Work is a part of life. You have your work and you have your personal life, and that all blends together with life. So how do we make sure that people feel balanced and they can meet the needs from a flexibility perspective? from a personal and employer perspective, in order to get the best out of engagement and what they're doing. Kristen Vaughn is Managing Director for the Human Capital Practice at Accenture Federal Services. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tom. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, 
And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers as others call them every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship, step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, 
his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.